Who are the players and stories of the 2018 fantasy baseball season? Who will be the players and stories in 2019? We'll ask a special roundtable panel of Baseball HQ experts. All of that and more. It's next, live from First Pitch Arizona on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, November the 2nd. It's show number 39 of the 2018 Fantasy Baseball season. I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have a special edition for you. We're live in front of a studio audience from the fabulous Pima Room at the Courtyard Marriott Hotel in Scottsdale, Arizona, site of the 25th annual First Pitch Arizona Fantasy Baseball Symposium. It's another big Friday show. We appreciate you joining us. Whether you're live here in the studio or listening on the podcast, what do you say? It's our season-ending roundtable, part two, and we're going to talk some baseball. And in the first inning of this special end-of-season edition, it's part one of our roundtable panel, and let's start by introducing our Blue Ribbon Baseball HQ experts. First, the weekly presenter of the Fantasy Flyer on Baseball HQ Radio, a tireless worker at the Baseball HQ site, and a man who likes extra cheese on everything, Alex Becky. Next, a pitcher matchups analyst at Baseball HQ Radio, and our weekly weekend pitcher matchups commentator at Baseball HQ Radio, it's Greg Fishwick. And next to Greg, a former weekly commentator at Baseball HQ Radio, currently a columnist at the Baseball HQ site and Baseball HQ's director of social media. It's Ryan Bloomfield. And at the far end, our longtime American League beat reporter at Baseball HQ Radio, also a columnist at the site, and the director of news and analysis at Baseball HQ, Jock Thompson. And before we continue, over there at the controls, producing today's live podcast, it's James Gale. So let's get this party started with the news. We just heard that Clayton Kershaw has signed uh, an extension, well, not an extension, more of a contract replacement, writing off his last two years and taking a three-year term instead, $93 million for this three new years. I'm curious what you guys think. Uh, Let's start with Alex Becky. What do you think of this deal with the Dodgers retaining Clayton Kershaw despite his decline? Well, I think it's a win-win for both parties. I I don't think it's a huge increase in his overall average annual salary. But by the same token, we've seen this happen with a number of other pitchers. We've seen his velocity decline. We've seen, uh, as you were saying, some of the other things decline. Yet at the same time, he's a highly intelligent pitcher, and we've seen a lot of people have a resurgence, uh, like Justin Verlander, after the velocity hasn't been what it used to be. So the guy knows how to pitch. If his back stays healthy, I think it's going to be a great deal for the Dodgers. That seems like a very huge if. If his back stays healthy, he's got he's had some other health issues. Greg Fish, we- I do think it's a win-win in the sense that he's a fan favorite. Uh, I think he probably serves a clubhouse role as well. He's a team leader. But I'm not sure. The, the information I have is he had two years and $68 million left on his deal. The new deal is three years and $93 million. So basically you're paying him $31 million for each of the next three years, which means year three is $31 million. I, I have a hard time believing he's going to be worth $31 million three years from now, given his, the current state of decline. Uh, so it's, I, I worry that he's not going to be like Justin Verlander. He's going to be more like Felix Hernandez. 
On the other hand, you could say that because the two remaining years were 68 total and now it's 393, the third year is really a $25 million cost over what it would have cost them, uh, assuming that he would have stayed for that same amount of money. Uh, Ryan, what do you think? Yeah, I don't have too much to add here. I mean, Kershaw has been a first-rounder for the past four or five years. That's not going to happen in 2019. Probably drops to the second round, um, to, what, to what Alex and Greg were saying. I think it is a good sign, at least health-wise for Kershaw, that L.A. believes somewhat that he can pitch for maybe get 20, 25 starts out of him. Um, and I think that's one of the takeaways I take with some of these qualifying offers. Um, L.A., or you know, with other qualifying offers, L.A. just extended one to uh, Hinjun Ryu, and Houston did not extend one to Charlie Morton. Um, you can kind of read between the tea leaves on some of these go or no-go decisions on qualifying offers um, in terms of health for some of these guys with health injuries. It's an interesting statement as well about the, uh, the, the analysis that says front offices are getting much more deliberate and analytical about these decisions and kind of looking the other way on fan popularity on track record over the long term and that they were willing to splash out extra money on a declining pitcher you can say you know maybe he'll do this maybe he'll do that and, and he's still a good pitcher or good enough he's not really you know he's not the Clayton Kershaw of old and that's for sure and you're, you're extending him for three seasons which seems like quite an investment but in a way it's kind of good for Los Angeles for doing that you know it, it's like having faith in your in your own past and I think that's something that merits a mention as and well. it's good for Walker Bueller too uh, to have Kershaw there you know on the staff to to kind of raise him to be a, an ace himself so yeah and, and and he's a role model as far as work ethic and all that kind of stuff uh, Jock Thompson what did you think when you heard the Kershaw news yeah I, I think that last part is is pretty important I talked to a, a longtime Dodger friend of mine today in the stands at uh, Scottsdale and uh, and just having having Kershaw around while they bring up some of these young guys and Bueller is going to be big I I can't see paying Kershaw $25 million two, two, three years from now. That's, that's always money that I don't understand, but it's the Dodgers. And, and you know, the other, the, the other aspect I mentioned is more important than them. And if the money doesn't mean anything, I think it's a, it's a fair signing. That's right. And uh, the, the salaries are only going to go up from here. We know that. It's just the pattern, the way things go. And certainly the Dodgers aren't going to miss $25 million, although there may be salary cap ramifications depending on what happens down the road with the CBA and, uh, and, and their, their ability to chase after free agents that they really do want because they're going to have this extra money tied up. Uh, let's start with uh, First Pitch Arizona. We've been out here a couple of days now, some of you longer than that. And uh, we've been out to some games, seen some of the top prospects in baseball. And let's, let me start by asking you guys, uh, what one AFL player did you guys come here most looking forward to seeing in action or most impressed you in some of the uh, discussions we had on uh, Friday morning here at First Pitch Arizona with the scouts talking about the top prospects who were out here? Alex Becky. Well, I would say uh, almost everybody who came out here wanted to see Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and I, I did too, but in my case, one of the biggest draws for me is one of my frequent flyers on HQ Radio earlier this year, slight plug, <laughs> was uh, back in April, I believe it was, we talked about Peter Alonzo, and this guy led the minor leagues in home runs, the entire minor leagues, all levels, he, well, he tied with somebody else, but he, he had 36 home runs last year, he has just tremendous power as we talked about this morning a little bit. Uh, his defensive skills may be a little bit suspect, but I think he's going to be an exciting player to watch, and especially if you're playing in fantasy leagues 
that don't count defense, you know, so count out score sheet for that. But if you're playing in leagues that don't count defense, Peter Alonzo is probably going to be a pretty big name in springtime. Now, I'm not sure with the service time when they'll actually consider bringing him up. There's always a possibility he could be a September call-up, so pay attention to that. But chances are with the Mets, they're going to bring him up as soon as his, uh, uh, as his contract allows we saw Peter Alonso play on Friday. He looks a lot like Jim Tomey to me out there, body type-wise. And I know that the knock on him is a glove, but he made a terrific defensive play in the sixth inning to preserve a one-all tie. And it was a, one of those games where they stop after seven innings, so it ended in a one-all tie. But hadn't been for him, it might have been a loss. And I know it's not a big deal, but he certainly made a terrific defensive play. Uh, Greg Fishwick, who are you looking forward to seeing out here? Uh, my guy was uh, Keston Hura if that's the correct pronunciation. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, he's, he was billed as a power speed guy. Uh, I kind of wanted to see if the, the observers, myself and all, all the scouts and others that are here, were, uh, were uh, agreeing that, that, that he had, seemed to have both tools. So it uh, looks like there's some confirmation that that's happening and even some, uh, some uh, compliments for his fielding. So he's seems to be advancing and uh, I think he's going to come on the scene here next year and they were quite enthusiastic about him in this morning's session as well as a guy who could be in the major leagues relatively quickly which is of course super important to us Ryan so one guy that came up this morning and and these AFL scouting reports that we do kind of Friday morning first first session at at first pitch are are fantastic one guy that really stuck out to me is, is John Duplantier uh, a local uh, local flavor. He's a Diamondbacks number one prospect. Um, really glowing set, scouting report and, and video on him this morning. Three plus pitches, a, a great slider. Apparently a slider has made uh, major strides this season. The fastball goes 93-96. There was some, uh, um, some, some hesitation on his health. I think health permitting, that's kind of the biggest thing holding him back. But the, the thing that got me with the conclusion this morning is that Duplantier really could make an impact in 2019 and in keeper leagues and dynasty leagues i personally prefer guys that are closer to the majors um, as opposed to getting a guy in in, in high a or, or, or just start in double a and is two or three years away so john duplantier i think if you're looking for a, a young guy who you're taking a little bit of a health risk on but but, but pitching wise i think he's going to make an impact perhaps be a mid-rotation arm um, as soon as next year is he the pitcher that they showed who's very tall, pitches from a very, very high point uh, as a lot of downward plane? Yeah, not as tall as uh, Forrest Whitley. I think the comment was Whitley, you know, pitches the ball released from the heavens because <laughs> he's 6'7 <laughs> and, and throws, uh, throws overhand. But Duplantier does have a, he, I think he's like 6'3 and, and, and throws high. So. And uh, Jock Thompson, you've been out here a while. Yeah, I have. I've been out here since Sunday, and I'm, I'm kind of with Greg in that uh, I, I watched uh, Keston Hura play for Irvine a couple of times. He's in my backyard in Southern California. Um, but since, uh, since Greg already covered him, one guy that really impressed me just watching him for two days was Cole Tucker of Pittsburgh, uh, very fluid guy in the field, um, very graceful, terrific, terrific fielder, ran very well. He's got long legs. They, they've called him a baby giraffe. I'm not sure how well the bat's going to play, um, I, I just I, he got four hits and made some contact the, the day that I saw him. Um, some some scouts think that he has a lot to grow into still, but uh, Pittsburgh has a, a, a middle in some middle infield opportunities. So um, this is a guy that uh, if the bat does come, um, you might even see him at the end of uh, this coming season. And I'll just throw in, uh, of course, I was interested to see 
uh, Vlad Jr., but he, he was 0 for 5 in the game I saw him in and actually didn't look that great. He, uh, he was struck out on a pitch that was a foot outside and a foot low, but and he was pretty mad about it. But uh, Kevin Biggio, uh, another Blue Jays prospect and another son of a, of a, of a great player in his own right, uh, roped a couple of one of them, hit the fence on the fly, and another one was well hit into, into center field, and I thought he looked really good. This is one game. It's five at-bats, and I'm not going to say I'm going to rush out and draft uh, Kevin Biggio just because of this one game I saw him in. But certainly it's, it's reassuring that you have a guy that you're kind of interested in. You see him, and he does well, and he looks like a ball player. So that's, uh, that's something to think about as well. You know, if, if I could throw one more out to pay attention to that's kind of flying under the radar, which you all know I like to do with frequent flyers, is Braxton Davidson. Um, I, uh, earlier this week, I don't know if you've been paying close attention, but he had two games where he hit two home runs. They were consecutive games. So that's four home runs in two days. Now, Grant, that's a small sample size. But when we're talking about the Arizona Fall League, that's basically leading the Arizona Fall League in home runs. So he's somebody to watch because that's that's a unique performance. Okay, so let's start a a little bit of talk about 2018. And I'm wondering, you guys, how you did in your leagues. And particularly, baseball is always a learning experience. And I'm wondering about the adjustments you make from the experiences that you have and uh, what you might do differently next year as a result of what happened to your teams uh, this year. Let's start uh, with Greg Fishwick. Um, I had a kind of a mediocre year this year. I had a couple of rebuilding teams and a couple of teams that finished third, uh, one right behind Ryan. And uh, I, I capped the year off by putting together a postseason league in which I barely edged Alex. So, uh, uh, congratulations! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, um, what one of the things I learned was I think I went into the drafts last year. Um, my conclusion about scarce categories, especially steals, was to worry about it. And I tried. You know, I had Billy Hamilton on a couple of teams. I tried to get lots of steals, even from guys that were one-trick ponies. And I don't think I'll ever do that again. I, I think it just leaves too many holes the rest of your roster. Um, it restricts you in the rest of your roster. You're trying to make up ground in RBIs or whatever it is. And um, I just uh, I think that's learning from, from that I'll take into next year. Ryan Bloomfield. I'm in too many leagues. <laughs> I think I'm in seven <laughs> or eight. And I... Yeah, it's a lot of work, but uh, but did pretty well. Won a little bit of money. Won the Rotowire Dynasty Invitational, and most importantly, beat Greg Fishwick <laughs> here um, in our AL only uh, uh, Phoenix League. So um, that was great. Uh, I try and learn from kind of the leagues I did uh, worst in, and one was the, the the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational. Just had issues there in in the middle round. Um, had a you know had a couple end game picks, had a couple fab guys work out in some in some good rounds. So one of the kind of takeaways and one of the things I'm focusing on at at first pitch this year is looking at you know rounds ten through twenty, or you know guys that are ranked overall like one fifty to two fifty. The the first round, the second round gets so much uh, you know discussion. Um, those are the big names. That's who everyone talks about. But really where you make profit, where you, you know, contend in leagues is if by hitting on, you know, more than half of those middle round guys. So that's going to be a focus for me uh, heading into next season. Ryan, is it just a matter of player picking or is it also a matter of, of strategizing about where you're getting your stats at what point in the drafts, those kind of things? 
A little bit of both. I think the biggest thing is probably in-season management, uh, staying on top of fab, knowing when to cut guys, knowing when not to cut guys. If anyone owned like uh, Matt Carpenter in April, um, if you cut him and someone else got him in, in, in over the summer, that didn't help. Um, so in-season and then obviously, you know, luck. I mean, avoiding injuries is a major part of succeeding in this game. And that raises another question. Can you draft to avoid injury? given that almost everybody seems to get hurt. That's a hot topic, um, and that, that has come up. That was a topic last year at first pitch, and I, I'm sure Jeff Zimmerman, who, who uh, you know, does a lot of work in this area and talks about that, um, I, I'm tending to think injuries don't stick year to year. I think a lot of injuries, you kind of have to look at them in, in a vacuum. Are they freak injuries? Are they chronic you know, muscle problems? Um, those are different things. Someone getting you know, hit in the wrist or hit in the face by a ball that's not as likely to uh, to recur as like Joanna Cespedes who gets hurt every single season and can barely walk now. So, um, you know, depends. Jock, how'd your teams do last year? Um, I, I did okay. Two fifth-place finishes in two mirror-image-deep 20-team mixed leagues. Um, it's a money finish, which, you know, point of pride, money's not important. I think the biggest mistake I made in one league is drafting Minnesota Twins. Uh, I think I had Sano, Buxton, Polanco, and Urban Santana. So the fact that I finished fifth is kind of a small victory. Although I also had Chris Bryant on that team. Uh, so it was a, it was a very strange year. Um, if I'm going to do something different next year, we don't do a, we have a supplemental draft. So there's not a lot of big names in the draft. It's mostly the draft class from the previous year and free agents and, and cuts. Um, if I'm going to do something different, it's going to be paying more attention to the closer du jour. Um, because closers are turning over more and more, and you got to pick up someone who'll get you eight or nine saves. You know, if you wanna, if you wanna do saves, um, and I'll also start paying a little more attention to some minor league flashes. One success I did have uh, at the end of the year was not looking at an entire season, for example, of somebody who I thought might be coming up, um, but maybe his last month. Alex, well. <laughs> I kind of followed Jack's footsteps. I'm from Minnesota. I was excited about Byron Buxton. I listened to a lot of the advice that you're going to hear again in 2019 where everybody's healthy, they're in the best shape of their life come spring training. Funny thing is, that's not always the way it happens come June. So um, I, my team's dealt with a lot of injuries. I thought Taiwan Walker was a great deal in most drafts last year. and. I seem to find a skill in terms of uh, drafting players who were gonna pitchers who were gonna have Tommy John surgery at some point that season. So um, it was a rebuilding year in that sense. I probably overvalued speed in terms of changing things up. One of the one of the things I've learned in playing this game over the years is that people are gonna follow the same patterns generally. If you drafted Mike Trout first last year. Chances are you're going to draft Mike Trout in the top three this year. You know, and your top six or your top ten may not change that drastically with a few substitutions. But uh, from my perspective, when you start drafting and you start looking at that and recognizing the way the rest of the room is likely to draft, then you can change things up and find players who are undervalued if you're not afraid of taking those risks. So from my perspective, one of the things that – I'm willing to change is to reevaluate those top picks and take those risks. I'll just say I had a terrible draft. 
Uh, I drafted stupidly and I waited far too long to uh, to get into the dra- to get into the auction because I was waiting for bargains that of course never showed up and by the time I got busy drafting all the good players were gone except lucky me Jorge Polanco I managed to buy for $20 and literally 15 minutes later somebody walked through the door with their phone in there and said hey Jorge Polanco just got suspended for 80 games for PEDs Thank you very much. Uh, I will say something that I learned from my performance this year was at in June, I was last. I had 31 points. And, I, and in our league, if you're under 60, you lose t- $10 of fab for every point under 60 are. So I would have been killed by that. And I just decided I have to do something. And I uh, basically traded away all my power for speed and saves and whatever I thought I could move in. And I ended up with 55 or 56 points. So a 25-point gain in a couple of months. I was really proud of myself for a 10th place finish because I really worked hard to get it done. And I think I learned something that's going to stand me in good stead when I'm in fourth place in some future year. And I'll have a really good handle on how to make a move. So that that was pretty useful. Uh, I was going to talk about individual players, but everybody does that over the offseason. I'm really curious what you guys think is the biggest story of the 2018 baseball season and the 2018 fantasy baseball season, how that works out. And uh, this time, let's start with Ryan Bloomfield. Ryan, what did you think was the big story as it affected fantasy baseball? Uh, a, f- a few things. I'll, 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 I'll touch on what Greg mentioned earlier with the, with the drop in steals. It doesn't look like that's going to correct. It looks like steals are going to continue to go down. Um, and we have to keep adjusting for that. And I totally agree with what Greg said earlier about... I think trying to avoid those kind of all eggs in one basket type of stolen base guys. If you drafted D Gordon or if you drafted Billy Hamilton this year, um, a not only did they we got a couple of hand raises here. I did. Um, I drafted Billy Hamilton and D Gordon and Byron Buxton, <laughs> and, and I'm going to clean up in steals. And did you did you draft around that though? Did you say did you say oh I drafted Billy Hamilton I'm good in steals and I'm going to go focus on power because I think that's the double whammy. If you do an all eggs in one basket kind of guy, if he doesn't hit it. That's you know knock number one, but then you also built your team and drafted your team around you know knocking sixty steals you know having that in your back pocket. If that falls through, um, you're behind in other areas. So um, I think you really need to focus on trying to pile up all around production and get as many you know ten fifteen stolen base guys. Um, you just lower your risk and spread it out a little bit more. I actually traded for D. Gordon as part of my strategy to try to pick up stolen bases. He got me nine in the in the latter part of the season. It was terrible, and a two ninety eight on base percentage, which really didn't help. That's either. how many times he walked last year too. Was nine. Yeah, yeah. nine yeah. <laughs> Jock Thompson, what'd you learn? I, I think the the most obvious story is is what's going on with pitching. The the increase in strikeouts and the shortage of of starting pitchers, um, and and. Obviously, the increase in relief innings. Uh, you got to be nimble. Um, um, you got to watch the bullpen guys that are coming up. Watch how they're doing. Um, you got to have. Uh, you got to have an ace or two. Um, it's uh, it's an, it's an interesting new world out there. Alex. Well, I think that one of the biggest stories for me was watching how Major League Baseball is embracing analytics. I mean, you know, it, most people think of the shift, and that's an obvious one, taking away making most at-bats a two-outcome at-bat. You know, it's either a walk or a home run, or a strikeout or a home run, generally speaking, according to a a lot of viewers. They've taken away singles up the middle, and they've also embraced the opener in terms of uh, restructuring lineups. And I think when you look at the World Series 
and you look at uh, uh, the way Boston constructed their roster in terms of having all left-handed starters and taking advantage of the fact that the Dodgers well, platoon a lot of players, so uh, by starting left-handed pitchers consistently, they were able to take guys like Cody Bellinger effectively out of the mix because he wasn't starting against a lot of left-handed pitching. Um, they batted, I believe it was like 240 during the regular season against lefties as a team and batted, I think, 207 going into the World Series against lefties. Um, so for Boston to set that up in the beginning of the season, recognizing a way to gain a competitive advantage, I think is one of the best ways that, uh, to emulate that in fantasy is to try to find those competitive advantages because I think we're going to see that a lot more at the major league level. And I think there's going to be there's all kinds of little subtleties like that when you look at Los Angeles's lineup of all right-handed batters versus left-handed pitching. You're going to have to pay closer attention to each one of those things in order to make a difference for your fantasy teams, especially in daily leagues. And Greg, I think most of, the, of what I was thinking about has been touched upon. I'll just try to spin it a little bit differently. I, I think uh, pitcher usage is obviously a big one. Stolen bases declining is another one. But an, another trend that was kind of news last year that we've just sort of overlooked is the 10-day DL. And um, we all, I think last year, mentioned that the Dodgers were the kings of, you know, rotating people in and out. Well, this year it's been used a lot more for a lot of other teams, and it it's going to depress starts for starting pitchers. Many teams, besides the relief pitchers going differently, many teams are now really using six starters for 20 or 22 starts instead of five or maybe four and a half, depending on how much talent they had. And, and the use of the DL feeds into that, allows them to do that. Um, and then just real quickly, besides stolen bases going down, strikeouts for batters are still going up. So another trend that... that um, is, is not due to their strategy, but uh, unless it's a hitting strategy, um, just to go for the downs, but um, it, it affects our game. Well, I'll just weigh in. I thought the biggest story and the one that has the maybe greatest ramifications for how we plan our fantasy rosters is going to be the opener, and more particularly, the use of the bulk pitcher after the opener. I've been thinking about guys, the, the guy that jumps out at me is a um, guy who grew up near where I grew up in uh, the Vancouver area, Jeff Francis. And Jeff Francis was a really tremendous pitcher two times through the lineup and a really untremendous pitcher every, every, all the rest of the time. And I thought if Jeff Francis could have got in most games in the second inning and pitched his four innings twice through the lineup, he could have been a 30-game winner, you know, because he wouldn't have had to pitch as much as he did and take the beatings that he took that third time through. His decimals would have been better. I mean, we saw uh, Yarbrough in Tampa won 16 games, a, a lot of them in that bulk pitcher role. And I think Baseball's a copycat sport, and a lot of teams are going to look at what Tampa did. Uh, Minnesota's already apparently doing it in their minor league system. There are other teams. Uh, Oakland tried it in the playoffs. Didn't work that well with the uh, Liam Hendricks start, of course, but they did use the, the system and to, with success running into the playoffs. I don't know. I think a lot of teams, especially lower-budget teams, are going to say, you know what, we can't afford to get in on the bidding on the next time Chris Sale becomes a free agent or Jacob Dugram becomes a free agent or whenever those guys – but what we can do is just do what Tampa did and load up on one-inning guys and bulk guys 
and win 90 games doing that without starting pitchers, except Blake Snell in, in, in that case. It's a really interesting thing. If I could raise a point on that, I think you've you've made some excellent points with this, Patrick. But um, we you brought up Clayton Kershaw, and we were we opened this discussion by talking about the new ninety million plus contract they signed. My question is: Is it possible with the current trends in Major League Baseball that they're signing him to be an opener? Is that right? I, I don't had, know. Oh, okay. I didn't. Oh, I hadn't I'm, heard that. I, I'm just speculating here, but is it possible when you're seeing this trend, the Nate Valdes and so forth, that um, Clayton Kershaw could be being signed and being looked at as an opener possibly for Los Angeles? Because with the health problems, with the velocity, it would seem to be an excellent fit, and he, he could be a hired gun then to go in against certain matchups and certain lineups. And obviously he's going to influence how opposing managers are going to construct their lineups. So if he comes in for one or two innings and it's your lineup's basically constructed for Clayton Kershaw, now you bring in an opposite-handed pitcher who who has opposite stuff, then all of a sudden uh, that whole lineup is out the window and you have three guys on your bench that you can interchange. So that may be a possibility. I, I would think if they were going to do anything with Kershaw, they'd make him the bulk guy. Like yeah, the I would guy say he'd go, go, he'd four go innings at a time. innings two through six or two through seven. Um, but we saw that in the playoffs. We saw, um, I think it was Milwaukee who uh, I believe started Wade Miley for one batter and then said, nope, never mind, and got him out of the game, and um, they had an advantage there. So It's going to be an interesting year. It was an interesting year. We'll take a quick break here. Be right back with part two of this special roundtable panel edition from First Pitch, Arizona. This is Baseball HQ Radio. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jack. I don't care if I never get back. Let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three strikes. You're out at the old ball game. Yes, it's one, two, three strikes. You're out at the old ball game. Baseball HQ Radio. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Since we just talked about 2018's big story, how do you think your big story is going to affect how fantasy baseball strategy works in 2019? And once again, let's start with uh, Ryan Bloomfield. Yeah, I mean, kind of the same thing of what I said earlier. Um, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Spread, spread around your production. And really, when we talked about strikeouts, when you're looking at, you know, one of the things we all do in the offseason is look at, you know, previous year numbers and contact rates and strikeout rates aren't what they were. So if you see a guy, you know, with, with an HQ contact rate of 70%, three years ago, that was pretty bad. Uh, now that's only, you know, mediocre. I think the league average is down to 72%. So um, just keep that in mind as you are uh, looking over 2018 performances is that uh, power's up, strikeouts are down, and that's going to that's gonna change perceptions. Jock Thompson. Yeah, I'm still a big believer in uh, getting the aces. Uh, a guy like Garrett Cole, who became particularly in a strikeout league, a real ace this year uh, on Houston. On the other hand, 
the guys behind the aces, the second, the third, and particularly the third and fourth year uh, tier starters, um, you don't need to pay as much for them uh, with respect to strikeouts um, because you can get strikeouts out of your bullpen, you know, too. But but you still got to have those aces racking up the the 200 and in Max Scherzer's case, 300 strikeouts uh, to to get you up there. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Max Scherzer, we'll be talking a little more about him and where he fits into the scheme of things a little later on. Alex, uh, you, you talked about a couple of different things. How do you think they're going to affect how fantasy players should be re-strategizing for the new baseball environment? Well, I think that pitching is going to, as was mentioned previously, pitching is going to be a big part of drafting strategy this year. I think that uh, uh, whether you believe that more teams are going to use an opener or potentially use an opener may influence your draft strategy. Why? Because in many fantasy leagues, wins are a category. And I know we've talked Most, before yeah. that uh, uh, wins w- may be greatly affected by an opener. You may have the bulk guy who's getting a majority of the wins, or you may have an opener with a strong lineup behind him getting a majority of the wins or increasing his overall wins because he's increased his starts. Ryan, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Greg Fishwick. Uh, I'll let Alex be my opener and I'll, I'll do the bulk of the work on, uh, he kind of alluded to wins being a category that changes. And yes, I think as far as your individual teams and individual players, uh, you know, that there's strategy and tactics that involved there, but I just take it to the next level, which is your league. And, and a lot of leagues not only shouldn't have wins as a category, but there are plenty of other categories that may be affected by the way managers are using players, the way players are being developed, et cetera. Um, and it, it may be time for you to look at your league and see wh- what are the processes for changing our categories. Do we need or want to uh, add some, change some, take some away, whatever uh, might make your league a little more fun and, uh, and not make it such a, um, you know, a reaction kind of a thing where we're waiting to see what happened in the majors this year and then next year we try to adjust to it and then our leagues don't change. So. That's an excellent point and I, I think the, the wins category could really change in, in coming years. Uh, in, in my American League only this year, I think it was something on the order of 71 or 72 wins won the category and I could easily see it being in the 80s next year without any other changes or, or, or that kind of thing. And, and it does add value to a, a good starter on a good team. Corey Kluber comes to mind. Chris Sale comes to mind. There's the added injury risk, of course, but that you have to take into account. But I think that might be overstated, especially since we've had Baseball HQ research that shows that in fact pitchers are no higher good top quality pitchers are no worse of a risk than good top quality hitters as far as injury and surprise underperformance and stuff and we'll talk about that uh, a little later on but right now let's hear from some of the attendees here at first pitch arizona about the 2019 fantasy effects of the opener strategy we start our discussion outside our podcast studio at first pitch arizona with jason planning. collette from Fangraphs and Rotowire, and a guy who follows the Tampa Bay Rays very closely. Of course, Tampa Bay played a pivotal role in this opener experiment, being the first ones to give it a real 100% try. Here's Jason Collette. 
Harper's strategy should be something we should be keeping in mind because of the times through the order penalty with pitchers. Uh, the OPS for a pitcher the first time through is 701 league wide. It was 731 second time through and 781 uh, the third time through. If you look at guys like Robbie Ray, who had an ERA at 950 when uh, left in the game after two times through, Jake Odorizzi 1125, Luke Weaver 1050. A pitchers are, if the teams approach the game and, and limited how many times their pitchers faced a lineup, we could see they can get improved uh, improved performances out of their starting pitchers. And instead of waiting to pull that starting pitcher until trouble, help them avoid that trouble. Instead of pitching innings one to six, pitch two to seven. And let somebody else start the game and just limit that exposure. We saw a lot of teams do it this last year, especially towards the end of the season. I think we'll see more of it now. Jason Collette says that the obvious beneficiaries among players will be those pitchers who get to pick up in the second, third, and fourth innings and therefore get themselves in line for wins. But there's another group of pitchers that you need to keep an eye on. And also, you should add more value to the guys that don't need that. I mean, your, your Aces, your Scherzers, your DeGroms and things, they can go out there and pitch that, and you should treat them appropriately. So your, your Aces should have a little more value because they don't need this treatment. Uh, they can, they know how to limit this, but some of these other fringy guys, your, th- your third starters who end up getting in trouble, you know, Luke Weaver was a big target for people last year. They don't have to, you know, those are the guys that get dinged a little bit, and we can take a dollar or two away from them, or three, and give it to some Somebody else that comes in there. I mean, I, I make a, made a mention earlier today, Ryan Yarbrough, there's no way that guy has any positive value if he was used in a traditional role. But 16 wins got people value this year. Mike Bell of Boston sees the potential for added value from the opener model. It becomes even more critical to find out who are going to be those bulk middle inning guys who really have the shots at getting the wins and also a reasonable number of strikeouts you know to justify their spot on the uh, on the on the roster that that I don't think it's the the one inning two inning opener guy that is the one you want I think it's the it's the five inning guy that has the shot at the win and five innings is going to get a fair amount of strikeouts and um, the beauty is at least in 2000 18, those guys were available in the free agent market. Um, so, you know, I'd say go go target those guys rather than the openers themselves. I'm just wondering if that increases the value of the real, you know, Santana anchor guy. Certainly the value of like a Scherzer. Do you pay $5 more for a Scherzer than you did a year ago? Um, but pay less for those starting pitchers that, you know, in, a, in an auction you might have paid $10 for. Aren't they worth less? Because they're, 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 they're giving you less value than they did before. First pitch Arizona. Arizona attendee Doug Gruber from Troy, Michigan, says he'll be watching the situation with the opener strategy, but he's not planning on making any big changes to his own strategy. Right now, I think it's too new to where it's a a big deal for me in terms of fantasy. However, we know it's kind of a copycat uh, major league, and if it starts to prove more successful beyond the Tampa Bays and uh, so forth, then, you know, I think we need to consider it more. But right now, you know, you lose a few starting pitchers out of the pool, but, you know, not enough to where I think that's, you know, a major deal. Might it cause me to maybe make a late draft choice so 
on a Chirinos or, you know, another uh, pitcher if I need wins or something like that, you know, maybe. But it's kind of a, oh, by the way, consideration, not probably something I would put a strategy around. Attendee Joe Pilecki of Chicago says for him, the interesting benefit will be extending pitchers' careers, which might put more emphasis on older pitchers and reduce the amount of attention that we pay and the amount of bidding that we do on younger pitchers. At this point, even though we're all enamored with younger, 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 as long as the player's working well, I don't think age matters that much anymore. Maybe in a long-term league that you're looking at, which in the simulation leagues that I am in, they're, they're grabbing, they're drafting hold leagues. Um, but also, too, you're always looking for players to fill out rosters. Bartolo Colon's the fountain of youth. He's going to be keep on pitching for as long as he's effective, and even when he's not. But it's one of those things, what's ever best to fit your team in trying to get past the younger, 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 and gambling on what their potential might be. Somebody who's like 29 years old who shows a propensity to do it well, for even in a short period of time, I think it's better to bet on him than somebody who's younger who hasn't even shown it yet. And we give the last word to someone who will be very familiar to Baseball HQ Radio listeners. Caught up with Todd Zola outside the First Pitch Arizona podcast studio. And Todd Zola says, let's everybody just take a step back and relax because the so-called opener strategy isn't really being that widely used. I don't know what people have been telling you so far, but I'm not going to say it's much ado about nothing, but I think it's being overplayed because we're looking for something to talk about. The other thing is, the whole opener, follower, whatever one wants to call it, only Tampa and Oakland are really doing it. Just because a guy starts a game and then eight relievers come in, that's not what Tampa's doing. They're putting Robert Yarbrough or Chirinos in for four or five innings, and I think that's they don't. They're doing it because it, they need to. I don't think they're doing it because they want to. Honeywell and De Leon, these guys get you know, and, and Faria. I don't think they'll be continuing to do it as much. And, and Oakland's doing it with Mengden. So I don't want to say much to do about nothing. But let's not confuse what these teams are doing when they don't have a good starter by putting a bullpen, old-fashioned bullpen game, with what Tampa does. As far as what Tampa is doing, does that make Yarbrough a little more likely to get a win because he can get it with four innings of this? Maybe. You know, Chernos, maybe. But I'm not... I'm not really overdoing, you know, changing a whole lot of either strategy-wise or whatever. I do think you need to look to your maximum innings limit or minimum innings limits in your leagues more than anything else, more than a personal strategy. So I don't maybe maybe I'll turn out to be wrong, but I think I think it's overblown because not everybody is doing it like they're saying they're doing it. It's just Tampa. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Guys, let's play a little a snake draft mock. Uh, I know this is something that uh, a lot of people are doing, but typically what, what everybody does is they draft the top of the first round, and I'm interested more in the bottom of the first round since we know with a reasonable degree of certainty who's going to be at the top of the first round. So I'm going to say you four are going to pick at the bottom end of the first round, and we'll snake you around to take the first four picks of round two. The first 11 players off the board have been taken, and here they are. Mike Trout. Mookie Betts, Max Scherzer, Nolan Arenado, Jose Ramirez, J.D. Martinez, Manny Machado, Francisco Lindor, Trey Turner, Paul Goldschmidt, 
and Jose Altuve. And don't, please don't think that, I, that that's the order they would necessarily be drafted in. But those are the guys who are off the board. And now the question is, knowing that that's the case and you're down there at the lower end of the first round, uh, we'll draft in the order that we, the fellows are sitting here, Alex, Greg, Ryan, Jock. Uh, Alex, Becky, you've got pick number 10 with all those top studs off the market. Who, who are you going to be uh, looking at? I think I'm going to take Christian Yelich. I know he had a great season last year. I think that there's a possibility of improvement with that, and I think that uh, um, I, you know, right about this time, I'd probably be looking at speed or pitching. And this year, as I said, I'm going to change it up. And of course, Yelich is one of those five category guys that you guys have talked about. It's not he's a speed guy, but he's also a decent power guy, and maybe some room for growth there. Greg Fishwick. That's where I'm going, too. I'm going to somebody that I think is going to contribute in a lot of categories, and I'm going with Trevor Story. Uh, also, um, I know people think shortstop is all of a sudden now, you know, the golden position, and there's tons of uh, excess, but that also means that if you don't have a good one, there's a bigger gap between your team and other teams' rosters if everybody else has a really good shortstop and you wait till the 12th round to get one. Ryan. You guys are looking at my cheat sheet here. We're all next to each other. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go Alex Bregman. Um, love what he did in really the second half of last year. The plate skills have always been there. Uh, power's developing and he can run. So similar to my, uh, my general approach of drafting all-around skills and talent, um, I'm happy to take Bregman um, in the back half of the first round in, in 2019 leagues. Jock, you're at the wheel, so you get two picks, and this is a maybe an opportunity for some strategizing. Yeah, um, I'm going to take Freddie Freeman. His his home runs dropped last year, but this is a guy who can hit 300 in his sleep, and, and I still think he's a, he's a he's a potential batting champion, which which nowadays is uh, is getting more and more important. This is a guy who, if he just hits a few more fly balls than he has done that in the past, he's going to hit 30 home runs again. He's going to hit 20 home runs. Braves lineup is loaded. I'm going to take Freddie Freeman with my first pick. Um, next pick, I'm going to take. Uh, I'm going to go go with a pitcher. I'm going to get those strikeouts at the top end. I was talking about. I'm going to take Jake Degrom. Jacob DeGrom is an interesting, uh, I had an argument earlier with, uh, not an argument, a discussion on Baseball HQ Radio, suggesting that Jacob DeGrom really should be about the fifth or sixth guy who goes off the board in 2019, because what more can he do except get better in wins? Yeah, you know, I mean, there's, of course, injury risk, there's performance risk, he's playing for the Mets, <laughs> which yeah. maybe limits his wins opportunities, but, you know, they don't have to do that much for him to, to uh, you know, score a few more runs here or there, and all of a sudden, Jacob DeGrom could be a 17-game winner, in addition to being an owner. 98 whip guy and a, and a 105 or whatever it was era guy with a ton of innings uh, that really helps uh, back to uh, ryan bloomfield yeah well so taking bregman in the first round I, I i'm gonna take a pitcher here as well just because if we're assuming uh like a 15 team league by the time this gets back to to jock and i um the pitching's gonna be a little bit uh a little bit sparse so i actually had to grom he's my number two starting pitcher in 2019 behind Scherzer. Um, a close number three is Corey Kluber. Just love the consistency. Um, his strikeout totals the last five years, 269, 245, 227, 265, 222. You don't really get better than that um, in counting stats, and the ratios have been there as well. So happy to build my rotation around uh, Mr. Kluber. Yeah, Corey Kluber's a good choice. Uh because Cleveland scores a lot of runs, so there should be yeah. some wins there as well. But they're going to have to rebuild their bullpen a bit. I think I uh, remember him losing a couple of that he, wins that he should have had because the bullpen exploded on him. And that's not really a sad thing that happens to all of us when you're in that situation. Greg Fishwick, back to you. Well, uh, 
I think going along the same lines that Ryan talked about looking at pitching um, and worrying about whether an ace would come back to me, it would be time to take Scherzer now. I know he's a little bit older. He's gone. Uh, gone. Oh, sorry. Take it there. always one of those guys okay. in every yep. draft. Yeah, okay. Is Wayne Gretzky still on the board? He was, I thought he was on the second <laughs> list. Okay, okay. So then uh, I, I would otherwise take Chris Sale, except I'm worried about his shoulder. So I'm going to take Aaron Nola. Aaron Nola is a really interesting choice. Another guy that really finished in the, I think, 16th or 17th overall in Baseball HQ's dollar value yeah. rankings. So this is a really good spot for Aaron Nola. And Young, a lot of room for growth. Pretty decent team, could score some runs. And uh, we'll finish up going back with Alex Becky. Well, I think one of the most important lessons is to play the draft. And obviously there's a run on pitching, and uh, obviously I respect all these guys. So that means that chances are there will be a little bit of hitting later. So I think at this point I'm going to go with a pitcher as well, and one that I've had my eye on. Um, possibly as a late first-rounder, and that's Blake Snell. Mm. You look at uh, 11 strikeouts per nine, he earned $37 last year, was in the Cy Young conversation. I think that uh, he's still young enough where there's room for improvement. So I think that uh, uh, let's take a risk at this point and uh, see what happens. I'm curious. I want to ask you guys about something there. Uh, I don't know if you follow um, the uh, NFBC Twitter feed, but I noticed that they were having a mock, an early mock draft, and Greg Ambrosius might have been his personal Twitter feed was talking about it. And somebody in the draft, in his mock, took. Uh, uh, in fact, I don't now that I say it, I don't know if it was a mock. It may have been an actual draft. Somebody took Ronald Acuna third overall, third overall on Ronald Acuna. I'm just wondering, what do you think of that, Josh? Ronald Acuna would have been my third pick behind the two, the two, the two guys that I did pick, Degrom and uh, and. Uh, Freddie Freeman. But not third overall? I like, if no, you had not third, third overall, overall, no. No. A lot of things like the NFBC where there's an overall prize, you're, you're drafting ceiling a lot more than what you would in like a local league where you're just competing for your, um, for your own league. So in that sense, I could see Acuna <laughs> going that early. Um, you're going to have to pay up. I, I think, you know, by, by next spring, he'll probably be a top 10 pick. So you're going to have to pay up. And, uh, you know, generally don't like taking guys without a track record that early, but this is not just some guy. This is, uh, this is a pretty generational talent, so happy with it. Yeah, I, I would mention that uh, one of the, pack, one of the um, handouts we got in our packet was the early off-season uh, Mason mock drafts that Justin Mason is running, and Ronald Acuna is 14th. So uh, that's, that's a little bit of a surprise to me, but it's kind of in line with what we're talking about. You're even in your home league and whatnot, you're probably going to – you can't wait to pass two rounds. You know? Is it surprisingly yeah. high then, yeah, you think? Yeah, I thought okay. so. Just because it's young and only one season of proof. That's exactly <laughs> it. Uh, Alex, what did you think about uh, Alec, uh, Ronald Acuna, third overall? I, I have two words that come to mind right away when you bring up his name, and that's sophomore slump. Now, obviously, he was one of my frequent flyers about two years ago, and he's somebody that I've been following closely. His talent is incredible. I mean, his raw ability is amazing. And from that perspective, I like the pick because I like the aggressiveness. That's what I was talking about before. Every once in a while, if you want to win big, you have to take some big risks like that. And so I have a lot of respect for whomever took Ronald Acuna so high. I think it's a big gamble. I think that there's other picks that are more conservative. But overall, um, if I'm in that draft room, that pick by itself is going to change how I draft the rest of my team. 
And we should point out that somebody in the NFBC last year took uh, Jose Ramirez fourth overall, which caused a great uh, storm of controversy. Can you imagine what was this guy thinking? And it turned out to be a great pick. I mean, the only thing wrong with it was that he didn't pick Mookie Betts and could have, and Mookie Betts had a much better year than even Ramirez did. But I thought, you know, aggressiveness is sometimes worthwhile. And we'll be talking more about this on Saturday when we have a a discussion of mistakes that we make about our thinking in these regards. And I I think, uh, just to scoop myself a little bit, I think one of the mistakes we make as players is that we buy into these narratives that we read about over and over and over again in the expert fantasy press or fantasy media. And what is the one mantra they always talk about in the early rounds? You can't take risks. You've got to get a sure thing with that fourth overall pick, and you've got to make sure you get those tremendous stats. And all I can say to them, you said two words about sophomore slump, I'll say four words. Mike Trout, Jose Altuve. The top two picks in last year's draft, Altuve finished 45th or 46th in Baseball HQ's 2018 final valuations. Trout was still a first-rounder, but it was at the end of the first round, not at the beginning. I don't think there is such a thing as a no-risk pick among hitters or pitchers. And for that reason, I still think it was a bad pick. I'll say that. But I can see how somebody might have made it. You know, uh, several years ago, at my first, one of my first uh, first-pitch Arizona drafts, uh, I w- remember watching Mike Trout in the field here at for, in the Arizona Fall League. And I thought, that guy is really good. And... So in the 12th round, I thought, well, I'm surrounded by experts. Somebody's going to take this guy. I better get him. So, it, you know, and I had just started with Baseball HQ not too long before then, and so I picked Mike Trout in the 12th round. You hear the room erupt in laughter, and I kind of shied away. I think my face turned red, but you know what? It worked out. And, so, we, and we kept you around. And they kept me around. I'm very grateful for that because it's uh, um, I'm very, very grateful for that. But by the same token, it says something about taking risks. And it says, and every once in a while, you can mix in the conservative strategy, but if you want to win, you need to take some big risks. And that's what moves you ahead. That's what separates you from other teams and other owners. Trying to put together a couple of the things that you've just said. Uh, Age, which we sometimes think of as a negative aspect of Acuna's too young, he's only had one year in the majors, etc. He's also probably in the prime of his life as far as physical health. I mean, he's not Scherzer. He's, he's not somebody who's at the end of the line. He's not somebody who's in their mid or late 30s who, was quote, who might be seen as quote-unquote safe because they haven't been injured yet. But think of Matt Carpenter. Maybe he was hiding an injury at the beginning of the season. Uh, and those, those kinds of things happen. So you put all that together, and maybe some of these younger guys that are, are uh, off to good starts are good ways to go earlier. Well, I think you hit on something with that, Greg, as well, is that He's, he's young, he's in the prime of his life. What he's missing is a track record. He hasn't proved it. So if you believe in his ability and his skills, he, it's maybe worth an early pick because even though he, does, he doesn't have the track record, there is some risk involved. It is something that could make a big difference down the line. Risk equals reward, and the reward could be very high. And there's a game theory aspect to all of this as well. When I was thinking about the Jose Ramirez pick, I wondered if maybe the guy who took him fourth overall really believed that he was an 11th or 12th overall pick and maybe would have waited till then if that was when his pick was, but he, he was picking fourth. And he thought to himself, perhaps, look, all the projections say he's a 13th, 14th type guy, but 
the risk runs both ways, right? There's a risk he underperforms, but there's also a risk that all the projections are slightly incorrect and that he puts it all together and, and does become a $40 player, which is exactly what happened. And I'm willing to gamble that, you know, I'm not losing that much if he ends up only being a 12th place guy and I pick fourth. What, what the disaster is, is if you pick him fourth and he flames out entirely. I talked about this here at uh, First Pitch Arizona with somebody in the crowd uh, during the break, and they said the the guy who did damage this year in that regard was Altuve because he was picked second, third overall, and he's 45th, and that's a three-round drop, and that's something that really crushes your chances. From a draft strategy perspective as well, I'd like to add on to that point. When you do make a move like that, somebody in that top six or that top ten is going to fall. And if somebody else says, oh, this guy is aggressive, he may take the guy that I really wanted in the second or third round, I better take him now. All of a sudden, it's a different draft, and the guys that you wanted to follow up with may fall to you in the later rounds. Let's say you wanted Aaron Judge. You consider him a first-round talent. All of a sudden, he may fall or he may be picked up earlier, depending based on your pick. So it changes the entire strategy. It's kind of like playing blackjack where the guy in front of you can mess up your whole table by you know, exactly. hitting 16 or hitting 18 or something like that because he's, I got a feeling, you know. And I'm looking forward to the panel tomorrow that you, where you're talking about the psychological aspects of, yeah, there's of, a lot of constructing them, yeah. our teams and, and it, et cetera. And it makes me think of two things uh, that we've been just talking about. One is opportunity cost. So your description of, of the Ramirez possible, the possible uh, interpretation of why the person picked him fourth instead of 12th is... Uh, that's, that's going to be a missed opportunity. I can predict that in a snake draft, he's not going to be back for me. So I either get him now or I don't get him. Right. So I, I do not want to miss out on him. I'm going to take him now when I have a sure thing. So I know that's going to be an opportunity cost for somebody else in the 12th round or, the, or my 12th pick or whatever, but I want him now. And th- that makes me think of um, most of the years in the forecaster. I don't know about this year, but we have the article about total control drafting. And I know in auctions, people think, well, I have control because till the end, when I run out of money, I could always bid $1 more than somebody else for the guy I really want, you know, my, or my two or three top players. But doing this sort of thing where you're, you're going around or a few picks early is trying to take more control over the draft, which is, seems to be a, a, a method that's less in control than an auction, that you can get less control than you could in an auction. So that's a way to, do, to take some more control. And it seems like we could talk about this all day, and some of our studio guests are looking like they're worried we might. So <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll move on here. I, I, I distributed to you guys a couple of days ago. The list of the free agents was published recently, and, and I'm wondering, uh, we're not going to go through all the free agents because many of them are just immaterial to most fantasy planning, but I'm, I'm quite curious whether you spotted anybody in the free agent list that you thought, this is somebody I'm going to keep an eye on just in case he lands in the right situation. And Greg Fishwick, did anybody catch your eye in that way? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the advantage of being first and control the situation by giving you two quick ones. Uh, I think on the hitting side, I like Michael Brantley. He's a free agent. He looked like he was totally healthy last year, and he's the kind of player that we thought he was three years ago. And if we're lucky, he'll be that kind of player for at least another three years. The other one is uh, also an injury recovery person, and it's Hunjin Ryu. Um, you saw the Dodgers have pretty strong confidence in him, starting him ahead of Rich Hill. Alex Wood goes to the bullpen. Ryu had the shoulder problem that is normally 
you know, the, a death knell for most pitchers, but he came back strong and he's going to be a free agent. And I know we just heard today that along with Kershaw's signing, they also, the Dodgers also uh, gave him a qualifying offer, gave Ryu a qualifying offer. So they still have confidence in him too. So I think those would be two good bargains. Do you think Brantley is a, is a guy to look at no matter where he ends up? Uh, pretty much. I think Cleveland isn't, th- isn't that great of a hitter's park. And, um, but on the other hand, he's had a pretty good lineup around him. So, yeah. I mean, and, but and he, w- he wouldn't sign with Miami or, you know, he would. Probably think, not yeah. at this stage of his career. He wants no, to chase wants, a pennant, I'm I pretty sure. So. Yeah. Ryan. Um, just, yeah, just a larger theme, and I touched on this earlier with free agents, is, is see those kind of fringe injury guys, those injury guys that have had problems in the past, see w- who they sign with, but also what they sign for. Gives you an indication of what that team's medical staff uh, came up with when they evaluate that free agent. So I, I like to do that a lot, is just trust uh, most major league teams, uh, medical staffs, when they make those signings. Um, a couple of examples uh, of guys I'm, I'm concerned about, uh, Patrick Corbin a little bit, not only just leaving um, Arizona, everyone talks about um, ALNL and park factors and that sort of thing. Arizona's done really good work in the last two years uh, with, with Dan Heron having a, hiring him as a pitching strategist, and they've had a lot of turnarounds um, in that rotation. Corbin's one of them. Zach Godley's another one. Greinke, um had a horrible year before Heron showed up. Um, his first year in Arizona turned him around. Um, Clay Buckholtz, of all people, had a, yeah. had a turnaround as well. So look for, and again, I like to trust teams with good front offices so look for guys who sign in Arizona they're going to lose Corbin they're going to lose Buckholtz um, see who they fill in with and uh, that's why another another reason why I kind of liked uh, John Duplantier I talked about earlier so um, look at the teams that know what they're doing and 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 bump those guys up and put you on the drafts. spot Ryan now, besides Arizona who are those teams the, the, the ones that really impress you in that regard um, Houston Tampa Bay um, I or the two biggest ones that come to mind, especially Tampa Bay, um, just with the limited payroll that they have and, and they're out of the box thinking. Um, we talked about the opener. They're one of the leaders in that. Um, I trust those front offices more than more than others. Jock Thompson, when you look at the free agent list, who jumps off at you as a guy you're really going to be looking at? I think to echo something that Ryan said, I'm going to be looking real closely to see where Josh Donaldson signs and who signs him. Um, Obviously, an injury guy. Uh, I want to see. I, I want to know the track record of the team and the medical staff that uh, that signs him. I want to see what they sign him for. If Donaldson's healthy, I don't think he's done by a long shot. I think his power's real. I think he could have a real good season next year. Shoulder trouble, a little bit of a concern for a power hitter, uh, but. You know, again, it's one of those things. Like Ryan said, it depends on who signs them, and if they're if they have a good track record of understanding that kind of thing, it really goes a long way. Versus some teams where you think, well, if he signs there, it's because they're too dumb not to not to have signed him. Alex Becky, I think the two of the players, obviously, that I'll be watching closely, as will be the rest of the world, is where Bryce Harper and May Machado sign. But I think the more significant issue is when they sign, because last year. With Scott Boris, he held out to the very end. And once a, a lot of teams wait for those big dominoes to fall before they start signing other players. So obviously waiting for those two to sign uh, will tell you where a lot of the other dominoes will likely fall because so many teams have saved up payroll for this free agent class. One of the trends that's interesting in the list that you gave us, Patrick, is that there's a lot of free agent catchers out there that are going to change hands. So if you're in AL or AL only or NL only leagues, that's a trend to pay close attention to. You have guys like 
Ramos and uh, Evan Gaddis and a number of other players that may switch leagues at some point. Um, AJ, uh, AJ Pollock is an interesting one because of his skill set. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm naming several, but uh, the, the key one for me out of everybody is Nate Evaldi because of the opener concept and because when you see who signs him, and I don't know who that will be, I think he's had a, a good run in Boston and he's been very valuable in Tampa Bay, that may be a big indicator of teams going that route and that will uh, tend to change my thinking on how I draft those pitchers on that team. Will they be using Evaldi as an opener, possibly? Will I be drafting bulk guys if I'm drafting starters from that team? So Nate Evaldi, to me, is the key guy to watch in terms of drafting for 2019. And he's not a free agent, but there was a story making its way around the baseball press within the last week or 10 days or so that JT Real Muto has said he's not going to play in Miami this year, speaking of catchers. And so they're going to have to figure out something to do to deal him, which will help because then they can you know, pay less salary and put more money in Derek's pockets. God knows he needs it. Uh, <laughs> and finally, you guys, uh, Baseball HQ Radio, as long-time listeners know and short-time listeners may even know it as well, we usually close our ep- uh, editions with uh, a feature we call Boons and Banes, a name that came to us through the uh, Baseball HQ forums, actually. Our expert panelists discuss players they think might be useful boons for 2019, which means uh, value above uh, expectations, or they might be unhelpful, maybe even disastrous, Banes. So let's start the ball rolling with a hitter boon. Uh, Jock Thompson, can you start us off? Who's a guy you really think might be a great boon to his team in 2019? I'm going to go with Byron Buxton next year. I can't quit oh, the guy. Play the his, rebound. Yeah, his, uh, his value is going to be so low, um, and particularly in the, the, in the format that we play in, uh, which is a service time format. Salaries dependent on service time in Minnesota really mess with his service time. He's still less than three years uh, service time and all there. Alex, who's your hitter, Boone? Well, that's a tough one because there's so many of them. But I tend to think that uh, Jesus Aguilar is going to be another guy that's going to be overlooked on draft day. I, when In terms of uh, somebody who hit 30 home runs, he owns that skill now. He hit, I believe, 34 last year. But n- nobody thinks of him in, in those terms. They're going to think of Goldschmidt. They're going to think of Rizzo. They're going to think of some of the other big-name free uh, – a big name first baseman in drafts. So I think when you can pick him up in the later rounds and maybe go after pitching or another area that could help you, uh, the value might be there. Great. I like Tommy Pham next year. I, I mentioned earlier that I was going to be more careful uh, about trying to put all my eggs in one basket and getting the one trick ponies. Tommy Pham fits the bill as a multi category. Uh, contributor, he really seemed to revive when he went to Tampa Bay, um, and I I think his his little midseason slump might have been psychological around some things that were happening in, in St. Louis. So um, I think he's he's going to be uh, strong next year. Ryan, who's a boon for you with the bat? Yeah, I got I got Michael Conforto as a boon for me. I talked about front offices that I trust earlier. The Mets are not a front office that I trust. I think Conforto came back way too early from uh, shoulder surgery, and that dinged his first half numbers. He hit 18 homers in the second half with tons of hard contact. He's going to be 26 next year. Um, I, I, I think he's going to break out in 2019. All right, let's uh, go to the pitcher boons. And once again, we'll start with Jock Thompson. Jock, who's a pitcher you think could really surprise in a most favorable fashion? 
A guy I like who I think is interesting for just for several reasons is, uh, is Ronaldo Lopez of the White Sox. Um, his team didn't give him any help, but he was very inconsistent this year. I watched him pitch a lot of times because I have him on one of my teams. Um, his mechanics are real clean. I don't think he's an injury risk. I think his stuff is terrific. He maintained 95 throughout, throughout all the games. And if he doesn't make it as a starting pitcher, I think he's going to be a lights-out closer. Well, one of the people that really caught my attention last year in terms of pitching was Scott Oberg of the Rockies, and his ERA was just outstanding. I mean, he, as a bill reliever, he really came on and added a lot of value to the team. So he's one that I think could add incredible value to your fantasy team this year, possibly in an Andrew Miller type of role as a kind of a hired gun when, or in high leverage situations. Great. Uh, I think I would take a chance on Josh James. Um, you know, he came up late. Houston put him in their postseason roster. I know uh, in this morning's uh, presentation by Eno Saris, we learned he has some command issues. Josh James does, not Eno. So I think those are that he can overcome them. Uh, I think Houston also has a good uh, pitching uh, coaching staff. Um, and Ryan agrees, and and I th I think he just has that natural near hundred mile an hour heat, and um, he's ready to go. Ryan, Joe Musgrove for me. Um, he got brought up this morning by Eno Saris as a quote unquote perfect pitcher by a number of different uh, filters: command, velocity, zone percentage, whiffs, and that sort of thing. Um, so that kind of validated. Uh, I, I had Musgrove's box in the in the baseball forecaster, and I threw a threw an upside. Um, or, or actually, Brant Chester threw an upside on, um, on, on, on Musgrove being a sub-350 ERA guy. So I think he's got that. Okay, our boons uh, are Byron Buxton from Jock Thompson. Alex um, Backey says Jesus Aguilar. Greg says Tommy Pham. And Ryan has Michael Conforto on the pitching side. Jock has Ronaldo Lopez. Alex has Scott Oberg. Uh, Greg has Josh James, and Ryan has Joe Musgrove. Let's go over to the Baines now. And uh, once again, we'll start with Baseball HQ Director of News and Analysis, Jock Thompson. Uh, Jock, who's a guy with the bat that's going to be a Bane? Oh, I am, I am drawing a blank here. I want to say Albert Pujols, but I know that's not fair. Um, um, let me say, uh, um, and I'll throw a guy out who's not established because I'm thinking Angels right now. Uh, a lot of people like Taylor Ward. I don't think his numbers um, uh, uh, were that good. He played in a lot of offensive, minor league offensive parks. Um, I, would I would avoid him if you're thinking of taking a flyer on Taylor Ward. Alex Becky. I'd have to go with uh, Greg Bird. I think that he has incredible power, but I think those injuries tend to add up, and it's very hard to trust that he'll be healthy. I'm sure that once the spring training rolls around, he'll be in the best shape of his life, and everybody on the Yankees will be healthy, and he's in for a great season, But um, just like every other player in Major League Baseball. But I do think that there is incredible power there. I remember seeing him in the fall league, and he was going back and forth with Aaron Judge in terms of hitting home runs on a regular basis. It was quite a contest, just like Chris Bryant and Joey Gallo the previous year. But I... I just think that the injuries are scary. 
Yeah, and the and the strikeouts are a little problematic as well. It's a, you know, Greg Bird. We when we do the regular season boons and banes, Greg Bird was just repeatedly chosen by all the experts as the as the bane hitter that they were really worried about, right from the time he came back from his first injury all the way through the end of the season. Ryan, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Greg Fishwick. Uh, let's stay at first base and switch leagues. I'm worried about Joey Votto. Um, I don't have any medical information, so he may have been hiding an injury, but he sure fell off a cliff this year, um, you know, compared to, compared to where he was. Oh, thank you. I love that answer. Sorry, Joey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan. Uh, for me, I'm going to go high profile guy at his draft cost. Bryce Harper um, is probably going to be a first round pick again. Uh, a lot depends on where he lands. Notice that none of us picked Bryce Harper through our first, I guess, 19 picks in our little mock draft, and I agree with that. Uh, I think he's going to be overpriced. He hasn't delivered first-round value very often. Um, ceiling's there, but, uh, but, yeah, he's a bane for me in the first round. He'll be one of the guys that pops up in this uh, psychological uh, behavioral economics uh, panel that we're doing. And uh, Ron Chandler says Bryce Harper's been a first-round value once in his entire career, and most often in the low 20s to mid-20s, and that's not getting the job done. Uh, let's do our Bain pitchers. Uh, Jock, who's a pitcher you're going to be avoiding in 2019? You know, I'm looking up pitchers right now, um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurt Ryan with this one since he picked him. I'm thinking Corey Kluber's going to fall off a little bit. I'm not sure he's going to have that ace season that he's had, you know, in the past. He's, uh, he's, uh, he's not exactly getting up there in age, but uh, struggled a little bit at the end of, at the, end of the year. Uh, if you look at uh, 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 some of his numbers, the command was still there. Um, ERA rose a little bit in the second half, not, not horribly so. Um, I watched him in the postseason. Uh, didn't look like the same uh, Corey Kluber. That's two postseasons in a row. Um, I don't know. There's just something there that I, I, I can't put my finger on. Alex Becky, a pitcher that you're not going to have on any of your teams? Dylan Bundy. I, he's another guy that has tremendous talent. He's got excellent stuff. He's just somebody that everybody keeps waiting for to have that big breakthrough season, and it never seems to come. He, I mean, he had an ERA that was above five, approaching six last year, so about midway between, I think it was 545 or something like that. And it, in terms of fantasy, that just kills your numbers. So I won't have him on any of my teams. And I bet he gets talked up again in the preseason next year. Uh, uh, Greg Fishwick. Well, here in the Fall League, we've, we've got uh, a lot of former major leaguers' sons uh, doing well. But uh, last year we had some news in San Francisco where Derek Rodriguez, the son of Yvonne Rodriguez, had a great year. And I think it was a mirage. So uh, if you look at his expected ERA, it was up to four and a half. Um, I, I don't really think he's going to come back next year and have a year uh, even as good as this one. Good chance of being overdrafted. Uh, Ryan Bloomfield. Yeah, I'll, I'll wrap this up with, uh, with John Lester as a Bane. He was a guy who had some pretty crazy first half, second half splits, 218 ERA in the first and 457 ERA in the second half. I think a lot of people are going to be wondering which version of Lester we should expect in 2019. I think we're going to expect, uh, we're going to see that second half version of Lester. Pretty much every skill is down. He's 34 years old with uh, a ton of innings on that arm. So um, I don't see much improvement from a second half version of John Lester. 
And don't don't you find it surprising that uh, nobody steals against John Lester like they should, considering his well-publicized problem with throwing to first? And uh, Gene McCaffrey told me he thought it was a sin against the game that everybody's not stealing second and third, including catchers and the the uh, janitor, anybody who you can get on base because he can't stop them from stealing. And why don't they all steal? And if they do all of a sudden figure it out, he could post a 70 RA because every walk is going to be a triple. I guess that's, uh, that's everybody then. So uh, let's talk about our Baines. Uh, Jock Thompson says Taylor Wade. Alex says Greg Bird. Greg says Joey Votto. And Ryan has Bryce Harper. Among the pitchers, Corey Kluber, Dylan Bundy, Derek Rodriguez, and John Lester. Guys, this has been tremendous. We're right at the end of our time, so I do appreciate you taking the time. Uh, those of you here, how about a nice round of applause for Alex, Greg, Ryan, Jock, and our producer, James Gale. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, November the 4th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 39 of the 2018 Fantasy Baseball season. I want to thank one more time our guests for this special First Pitch Arizona edition of our show, Alex Becky, Greg Fishwick, Ryan Bloomfield, and Jock Thompson. I'm Patrick Davitt, Master Notes commentator at Baseball HQ and the host of Baseball HQ Radio. Remember, you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at Baseball HQ. You can also follow me on my personal Twitter feed, at Patrick Davitt, where you'll be the first to know when a new podcast and many old jokes are available. If you wouldn't mind, you can do me and the show a huge favor. Tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio, and wherever you get your pod, iTunes, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, leave Baseball HQ a good review and a rating, because that helps get new listeners, and getting new listeners helps us keep the podcast going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again later this year, if Ray will pay for it, or early in 2019 with another edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio, and so long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators, or directly from BaseballHQ.com, where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.